you know, I think Richard Branson says that if, if you know, that saying of always put your customers first, yep. he says, if you put your employees first, your employees put the customers first. So, yeah. Yeah. That's and right. So that is something that we've really leaned into and really recognized that our, our team and their belief in us and their buy-in to our culture is really going to be what makes us succeed. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Sylvia Chevery, co-founder of Chartier Restaurant. Welcome, Sylvia. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Can you give our listeners a bit of background about yourself as well as about the restaurant? Absolutely. Um, So my background um, has always been really in hospitality. So from the time that I was 15 working at Dairy Queen. Yeah, you you know how to start. (laughs) I I got the Dairy Queen curl down to a T, but all the way up to working at pretty much every restaurant in the city. I worked a little bit uh, as a catering coordinator and event planner Um, at the Union Bank Inn. And then it wasn't until I was kind of a little bit later in my adulthood that I decided that I wanted to go back to school and ventured into marketing. And that's my very first marketing class at Nate. I felt at home and I knew that that was where I wanted to be and that I had finally found my thing. After going through Nate, I got a great offer to join a wonderful agency called Abatement Communications um, and worked as a media buyer planner until I had my daughter and then uh, did a bit of freelancing on my own. And it was then a couple years after that my husband and I decided that it was time that we finally live our dream of having our own restaurant. We just, I think it's pretty normal when you've worked in an industry for so long, you just want to know if you could do it. And and you learn all these things about what you would do differently and, and what you would repeat. So we decided that Beaumont, my hometown, would be a great launch pad um, because it, it's a beautiful city, but it was really strange that they didn't really have a solid business base there, especially of restaurants. There was lots of pizza places, chain chain options, but nothing, nothing that was up our alley. So small, locally sourced, great wine list, that kind of thing. So we decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign to see if there was validity to our idea. You know, it's one thing yeah. to just yeah. say Get some I validation a restaurant, but but were people actually keen to come? So we, we launched a Kickstarter and to make a long story short, after 60 days, we ended up being the most successful restaurant Kickstarter in Canada. Wow. Very first in Alberta. And we raised about $108,000 wow. through Kickstarter to kind of fund the base of our very large restaurant project. So we've That's been- That's exciting. It was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, it feels so long ago, even though, I mean, five, six years ago, isn't that that far 
far in the past, but it feels like, you know, a lifetime ago. So we've now had our doors open um, right in the heart of downtown Beaumont, uh, serving up French Canadian comfort classics for five years. It'll be six years in March. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, t- so sort of talking about that, um, the dream and wanting to, you know, fill the void that you recognized in your hometown of Beaumont and um, having that experience of having worked in the industry and some of the marketing experience and, and thinking, okay, this is, this is it. This is going to be, you know, the path that we want to take when you, that you want to take and, and move forward. Obviously, when you start a business, you sort of have a vision for what it might be like, and then reality hits, and often it's nothing like that. When you started, when you started that Kickstarter campaign, and obviously it was, you know, wildly more successful than you anticipated, did you did you think that that was going to translate into, wow, this business is going to be, um, you know, wildly more successful than you anticipated? Like, what were your expectations, and then what was it actually like when you were in the trenches and just getting started? So the biggest one that I can think of is around financing. So once we did this Kickstarter campaign, you know, we had 600 people that were willing to prepay for their experience when there was literally nothing there. Like imagine buying a gift certificate for a business that currently doesn't doesn't exist. exist. Yeah, it's a crazy thought back in the day. It's so wild. It's so wild. And so we kind of thought, well, the banks and lending institutions Clearly, this is the best market research that you could ask for. People right, are, absolutely. Are, are not just saying, yes, I would like that. They're saying, yes, I'd like that. Take my money. We thought that our next step of securing the balance of our financing, which was, you know, restaurants are notoriously expensive, the equipment, of course. all yeah. of the, the mechanics that go into air ventilation, things like that. It was close to a million dollars total. So it was about $750,000 all said and done. We we kind of anticipated the banks would see what we did with the Kickstarter, see the feedback, the reaction, the press, all of that, and be like, well, of course, we'll give you money like this. No problem. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) That was definitely not the case. Um, Most banks wouldn't even look at our business plan. We got turned away before we even opened our mouth. We had lending institutions that said, "You will, you're never going to get this money." Like, wow. like places, places don't want to lend to restaurants because they have a really high failure rate, which is true. I think the the stat is two thirds of them fail um, in the first year. So, unfortunately, that wasn't really working in our favor as far as accessing additional capital. Uh, it was a very long struggle, but in the end, we did end up getting actually ATB Financial reached out to us and said, hey, we saw your project. How can we help? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Was, so they were willing to take a bit of a, of a risk where some of the other banks um, that, that you might have expected um, were willing to come to the party really, really weren't in those early days. Correct. And, and ATB, really, they work with a lot of different government programs, like the Canadian um, Small Business Loan Program, which is right. a very arduous program to navigate. Like, it's not easy. It takes up a lot of their time. So, But they are willing to work with that program in order to give entrepreneurs who don't have the, what do you call it, like the guarantee. Like, we right. didn't have a 50% guarantee on a $750,000 loan. Right. Uh, but thankfully, those programs are in place. It's just up to the bank to whether or not they want to go through with them or not. 
And do you think that the uh, the success of the Kickstarter campaign uh, was material from ATB's perspective in terms of, of them getting some comfort that there was a, a market need or a market desire for this? Like, was that was that statistic or that data actually relevant? Because as you say, the, you know, the banks have to take the make the decision that they want to proceed. But do you think that that was actually uh, relevant in this case? I do. I think Good. it was relevant. Good. I think that they did see it as a bonus. The one thing that we didn't anticipate being an issue is that the finances that we raised through Kickstarter weren't actually seen as capital towards the project. It was deferred revenue. So it was actually on the liability side of, of our balance sheet instead uh -oh. of, oh, yeah, I know, right? So you're like, <laughs> right. oh, I have all this oh, cash, right. but no, it- <laughs> They didn't so, see it that way. Yeah, so that definitely was a little bit of a challenge was trying to kind of show them that, shine a different light on it, really see it as capital and not, not a liability. I wonder, so in the restaurant world, of course, um, obviously the pandemic has done a lot to uh, how people access it and, and how you're able to stay open. How does Charté stay relevant and find out trends and, and market research about the customers? I mean, starting with the Kickstarter campaign where people were really willing to, you know, prepay for a vision. How do you stay in touch with your customers and how do you find out what's important to them um, so that you can, you know, influence menu choices and sourcing ingredients and, and, and that? How do, you, how do you do that intel? There's a lot of different ways, but I, I would kind of funnel them all back to this centralized thought of putting ourselves in the shoes of our guests. We have to, we have to look at the business from the guest perspective. And I think that often businesses look at the bottom line and the back end of the business and obsess over that side, forgetting at the end of the day, customer is king. And so when we are looking for new menu ideas, you know, we're, we're thinking about, we, we take into account all of the guest feedback that we get in the in-house experience. We have a very open dialogue with our guests. If somebody doesn't finish a plate of food and we go to take it off the table and we say, how was everything? And they say, it was fine. That's not, <laughs> we never leave it at that. We're always right. like, hey, wait, hold on. Fine is not what we're going after. We don't do fine food. We do great right. food. So what happened? Yep. So we take we take all of that feedback. We go out to other restaurants and we learn from what our, our colleagues in industry are doing. We, we look through cookbooks. We look online. We're constantly trying to keep up with what it feels like to be a guest and what guests are enjoying. You know, we recently did a renovation in our restaurant in August. And when we did that renovation, we basically took out all the tables that we ourselves wouldn't be excited to sit at. Oh, interesting. Those, like center tables where you feel vulnerable and exposed yep. and there's people all around you and you just feel like a sitting duck. We yep. went through the restaurant and, and took out any table that we wouldn't want to spend two and a half hours at. Oh, interesting. Because that's, that's important. You have yep. to put yourself in your guest shoes. So, and it's all about their experience and really viewing, you know, the opportunity, the the meal or the experience through their eyes, and what what are those factors that will go into enhancing or detracting from that experience? A hundred percent, hundred percent. 
you know, even with our marketing budget, we don't, we don't do a lot of paid advertising. We don't do a lot of, you know, magazine ads or online ads. I would say 95% of our marketing budget is spent on the in-house guest experience. It's, oh, it's surprising our guests with treats and drinks and taking care of things that they didn't maybe enjoy, um, you know, making up for experiences that didn't go 100%, uh, surprising people when they least expect it, yeah. in, investing in things that will make for a better guest experience is the best place that we can spend every single marketing dollar, which is hard. It's a lot of course, of it's course. to buy a magazine ad. It's yeah. really hard to put those dollars into action within your own four walls. Well, and it's really difficult to, to do that really quickly. Right. And so if somebody, you know, is, is having a bad day, is having a bad experience, um, you want your staff to be empowered, to be able to, you know, drop everything and, and turn that experience around for them, like right here and right now. So you don't have the luxury of time to be able to sit back and think about, you know, all the different ways that, that you could do that. So it is, it is tough, very tricky to be able to, you know, act quickly. Um, but that's really, as you say, the most important thing, because from the guest's perspective, what a, what a great story to say, oh, like I ordered this food, but it wasn't what I, you know, what well, wasn't what I was expecting it to be, but they turned around and they did, you know, these three things for me, or they provided me, you know, they, they treated me with something. And so, you know, I would have had a, a, a an okay or a mediocre experience, but now I've had such a great experience because they took the time to really get to know me and to really meet my needs and and move that forward. So that I I, I agree, it's really tough to do, but I think very strategic um, to to being focused on your customers' needs. A hundred percent. Well, I think that there's a, a a statistic, you know, that if somebody has a good experience, they'll tell five people. If somebody right. has a bad experience, they'll tell 20. Of course. And of course. so, you know, word of mouth in our industry is is king. Really, I don't, I don't know about you, but I love talking about places to eat. That's a fun oh, yeah. topic of conversation. If, everybody if, loves it. Everybody loves that. You know, yeah. around the water cooler. I know we yeah. haven't had a lot of water cooler talk recently, but when we did have it, you know, you'd ask somebody, what did you do this weekend? I went, I went out for dinner. Oh gosh, where did you go? What did you yeah. have? Oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a very few other industries that are that, I don't know what the word is, but. but sort of universal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. likes to go to eat where they like to eat is maybe totally different. Different, yep. But it is a fun activity that we like to talk about. It is. And it's interesting because you're right, like people will have very different views on what they consider to be, you know, delicious food, depending on their tastes. But it doesn't matter. Like you're still happy to hear the story about, oh, I went to this great Indian restaurant or I went to this great Thai restaurant or whatever. Like it doesn't really matter what the what the type of food is. Um, people want to hear about what was the experience and they want to hear about more than just was the food great? Was the service great? Where, you know, was it was the environment enticing and all of that right so i think you're right it is something that that people can share um when there's kind of like i don't know not everybody loves to talk about politics right so there's where there's in a world where <laughs> the conversation can be tricky food is is something that people do um have in common right so yes, i think it's that's so universal it's so it universal. is 
so talking about that and and sort of that that feedback of of or or that the discussion and the fact that people like to talk about that how do you and 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 i guess you know coming out of this pandemic or maybe we're still in this pandemic and um you know, knowing that things continue to change, how does a restaurant and how does, does yours in particular pivot and, and stay fresh so that you can, you know, give a different experience? Obviously, when restaurants were shut down for so long, you couldn't necessarily have the in-restaurant, in-person experience. But how do, how do you decide how and when to pivot and to stay fresh for, with, you know, for, for, for offering the, the type of experience that you want your, your guests to really, you know, take with them? Yeah, I mean, talk about decision overload. We were, the decisions and knowing if we were making the right choices and if we should be pivoting, if of we course. should stay in the course, I think was the hardest thing in my life that I've ever had to do. That was yeah. absolutely at the top of the tough decision um, chain. And repeatedly, right? Because and you had to make that decision over and over again in the last 18 or so months, right? Yes, exactly. And at the beginning too, it was especially challenging because nobody really knew even the scientists the the top minds in the world were still learning of course yeah what covid was how to keep yourself safe you know our access to ppe was so limited there was just so much uncertainty so having you know you make you always make your you do your best to make a good decision with the information you have available to you at the time of course yeah but at the beginning the information we had available to us at the time was so limited yep and and changed so frequently right like every day it was like okay do this but no okay actually do something different and so it's really difficult to make decisions when the experts don't even know what to be advising exactly so i i I wish that I could say that we had some sort of magic formula, but honestly, <laughs> it was gut. It was I used my gut, and and the I remember the weekend before we decided to close preemptively, the yep. very first wave. Yep. Uh, I just couldn't stop. I had this thing in my stomach, this pit. You know, watching how our guests were interacting in the dining room that weekend, it was like. It was sit, like sitting down when there's this tidal wave coming and everyone's just eating, trying to pretend like everything's okay. And this wave is just getting closer and closer. And so at that point, I just said to Darren, I said, I don't feel like we have the resources to keep our team and our community safe if we stay open. And if yeah. I if we can't do this safely, we should not be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was then on the Monday we announced that we were we were going to just switch to takeout only until we knew more. And I think it was maybe two or three days later that the government announced a full shutdown. So, so you were a bit ahead of the curve, but but could feel that that was the right thing to do for number one for your team and also just to maybe buy a little bit of time for, uh, you know, the rest of the world to kind of figure out where things were going to go. Exactly. And it was, it was all about, you know, we stopped thinking about what will keep the business alive. That was yeah. a secondary thought. The primary thought is what will keep our community and our team safe. Yeah, and that was the guiding light to every decision that we made through the pandemic. We used our gut. We, yep. used, we used a sounding board of safety 
and precaution um, and care. Yeah, and, and you can't go wrong when those are your guiding principles, right? I mean, that's the only thing I could do. When when you don't have all this information, when there is so much unknown, you have to find a guiding light. You have to find um, kind of that backbone of how you're going to make your decisions. And right. so at the end of the day, we said to ourselves, our management team, we don't know. We, I mean, this was especially before the government announced any kind of subsidies. We thought, yeah. you know, we could definitely go out of business. We still yeah. have so many loans. You know, this is a... The restaurant industry has very, very small profit margins. There's no room for error in restaurants. Yeah. So with with s small margins and high margin of error, right? Um, we said, you know, there we could go under, but at least if we're using this backbone of safety and care, we'll feel good about going under. We can't right. stop the environment. If if the environment means that we have to close, then we have to close but at least let's go down with the legacy of care. You know, I think that's very much consistent with the the principles that you're describing about the the customer experience that you want your guests to feel, right? That you want them to feel like they're cared for. You want them to feel like if they've had a bad experience that you actually, you know, want to do something about that and you'll do everything within your power, like your marketing spend to make sure that that they are cared for and that they are, you know, well, well looked after while they're in your in your restaurant. And I think that that principle of caring for them and caring for your team and making sure that they're safe in, in such an unknown and unprecedented uh, situation, I think really is consistent with that. And so I'm sure that that message was, was very well received. You know, our community was, they, we truly felt like they wanted to see us on the other side of the pandemic. Oh, wow. So That's great. They went out of their way to order takeout and come to the bakery and, and, buy gift cards. I mean, people from out of province were buying gift cards and saying, just give it to somebody who needs it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a good, a good story, right? Oh, it was when you, when you provide care for them, then the community reciprocates. What a, what a great message. What does, what did these lessons, obviously, you know, tough lessons from, from the pandemic and, and not every business has survived and lots of opportunities to pivot and lots of, you know, decisions that had to sort of be reevaluated as restrictions came in and, and then were lifted, like so much change, so much un, unanticipated, uh, you know, turmoil as, as a result of, of situations that are completely beyond our, our control. What does, what does kind of living through that um, and the resilience, obviously, that was built um, through through that experience. What does that inspire you to do moving forward? Are there any any things that that Chartier has on the horizon that maybe are a little bit different from what you've done before, or new opportunities that you want to kind of explore or take on, or is it just going to continue as is? I would say the biggest takeaway. I mean, we've always really had a focus of making sure that our team was well taken care of, that they have the resources and tools that they need to succeed. You know, yep. mentoring and training has always been a big focus, but the pandemic really brought to light how, how valuable our team is, that they are, you know, I think Richard Branson says that if, if you know that saying of always put your customers first 
yep. just as if you put your employees first, your employees put the customers first. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's and right. So that is something that we've really leaned into and really recognize that our our team and their belief in us and their buy-in to our culture is really going to be what makes us succeed. So a lot of our our steps in the coming, in the past few few months, as well as the, the next steps moving forward are about how can we expand our team? How can we give more opportunity to those who who clearly want more and shone through the pandemic and have proven themselves? How do we give them more opportunity, more education, more mentorship, higher pay? We're really wanting to make sure that our legacy that we leave behind are the next generation of leaders and chefs and bakers and servers. That's our legacy. That's going to be our metric of success. Restaurants in particular with such low margins, um, it can be challenging and it can be very easy to feel like perhaps you're not a success if, yep. if your bank account isn't where you had hoped it would be. Whereas if our metric of success is, is things that maybe aren't as quantitative, um, like the legacy of leadership and mentorship and training and community mindedness, um, in that regard, I can say that we're very successful and it makes yeah. me feel very proud and very good about being an entrepreneur. You know, as an entrepreneur, it's really difficult for for the companies to get out of the, the mindset of like, I just need to make the next dollar and I want to, you know, invest that back in my company and I want to, you know, do all of these things. And I think lots of entrepreneurs, of course, of course, you have to do that in order to be sustainable. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs really find um, gratification and meaning in the work that they do through part of the legacy that they are going to be able to leave. And that legacy might be, you know, establishing a foundation. It might be, um, you know, sponsoring refugees from distraught countries or other, other like very noble goals. But sometimes I think entrepreneurs really find that satisfaction and that gratification by investing in their own team. And as you say, turning over that, the next generation and empowering, setting up a system so that the next generation can continue to kind of reap the benefits of what of what has started. And that really can set a company on a pathway of sustainability and making sure that its its you know processes and its programs are are for the benefit of of that next generation. And what a what a great opportunity or what a great thing you have going on where your customers feel really well cared for and your employees do as well because part of your legacy, part of your measure of success is whether you've you know you've really achieved that. And as you as as you said in that Richard Branson quote, um, if you take care of your employees, then they will take care of the customers. So what a great investment in them in order to ultimately uh, get the investment in the in the customers, which is where where it really matters. I have a question about uh, talking about sustainability. I have a question about, um, I guess, supply chain in the pandemic. And of course, in many industries that was 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 very much affected. Was that an issue for you? And if so, were there any strategies that you had to put in place um, to, to overcome or to, to deal with supply chain issues around fresh, you know, fresh product and, and ingredients? 
We've always really focused in on trying to source as much as we can locally as possible. Um, that yep. really benefited us during the pandemic yeah. um, for a number of different reasons. I mean, obviously, when we had a lot of these meat processing plants that were getting yeah. shut down, exactly. um, we, we worked directly with, you know, one or two different farms. Um, and so we weren't affected by those changes, which oh, good. was very reinforcing to us. Yeah. Other things, I mean, there's, there's, as, although we try to source as much local as possible, we're in Alberta and that doesn't, our climate doesn't always afford us the luxury of having all of our fresh produce and yeah, of things course. like that. So there's always things that we do tend to pull from, you know, out of province. We try not to do out of country, but obviously we do, especially for things like, you know, tropical fruits like lemons and limes and that right. kind of stuff. Right. Um, but we did notice it was getting really, really challenging. The whole supply chain was messed up. It still is. It's yeah, still it is, yeah. totally off, off the chains. So we basically change our menu every two to three weeks because just because we can get plums in now, you know, in two or three weeks, we might not be able to get plums. It's very unpredictable what we, what our suppliers will run out of how quickly they'll run out of it, when the prices will go up. There's certain commodity, like uh, lobster has gone up 140%. Wow. <laughs> right. Wow. It, it's totally wild. So we we don't pre-print our menus at a big printer. We use um, single-use menus that we print off on our computer at the restaurant um, because our pricing and product availability is just completely all over the map. Not so much with our local local producers, but with the ones that we can't access directly from our own from our own you know local area or province. Yeah. Even things like equipment, we had our convection oven break, and if we didn't get it repaired, if we had to get a new convection oven for the restaurant, we wouldn't have been able to get it until November. That would be a bit of a problem in a restaurant industry, I would expect. <laughs> yes, a restaurant and bakery would not do so well without a convection oven for, for three For months. several months. Right. Yes. You know, it, it really has solidified the relationships that we have with our farmers. We've always considered them friends and the pandemic has really reinforced that they're family. Um, yeah. and, and it's such a great symbiotic relationship of, of give and take and we help each other out and uh, it's made a huge difference for us. That was probably a little bit of luck at the beginning of being able to land in some really good um, solid relationships but what you know what a what a lucky thing when the as you say the global supply chain generally has been quite quite strained through the pandemic and obviously certain industries more than others but to have the 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 one-on-one -on -one relationship when where they know the local producers where they know who you are and they know what you're about uh, i think probably put you in a really good position to be able to to capitalize on those relationships, obviously to the extent possible, um, and not have to rely so much on on producers from other other locations that, as you say, are so much more um, variable in terms of of things being out of their control as well. Yeah, it it was it was amazing, and even even some of our our farmers, you know, at the very beginning in March, they'd say, you know what, we're not going to invoice you until until you're ready to pay. 
the oh, number wow. of local farmers that said that to us was unbelievable. They knew they wanted to make sure that we got through it and they were willing to do whatever they could to help us. And if I don't know, you know, when you don't have those relationships that that's just not an option on the table. Yep. Yeah, and it, exactly. It is. It does come down to the relationships and it does come down to wanting to make sure that everybody in your community is okay from your customers to your team to your suppliers and obviously the the community as a whole. So that's uh, that's a, also a, a ringing endorsement of the, the benefit of community and something that, you know, we don't hear like the pandemic had a lot so much hurt and so much hard for companies and it's sort of nice to hear a story where where the opposite is is true and where everybody's kind of looking out for each other so that's that's inspiring You, you mentioned at the beginning that uh, when you were talking about the Kickstarter campaign and, uh, you know, you didn't really know how that was going to go and then you didn't know how the money was going to be treated, but you made the comment that if you had to do it all over again, you, you probably still would have um, because of knowing now on the other side that it sort of turned out okay. W would you say that generally about your experience with opening the restaurant uh, as a whole or are there things that you would do differently next time if you were starting out today? Ah, uh, I mean, there's things that I would probably do differently. Um, yeah. Nothing like major. Yeah. I think I would. I think the biggest thing is I would dedicate more time to working on the business versus in the business. I think that oh, my, yeah. my scale was skewed, and I was working in the business. Yeah, all the time. Darren Which and I makes it hard to work on the business. Yes, it's impossible. You're yeah. you're drained and especially uh in our in our industry it's you're dealing with people constantly and in, in right. a single day I could easily interact with 250 people wow and so trying to sit down and work on the business after you've been interacting with that many humans especially you know I'm an introvert who needs to recharge in solitude right that's just not a thing when you're, when, <laughs> when you're working in the business all the time so uh, a learning lesson that I will have moving forward to my next business is that my value is not only working inside the business. It's about planning and mentoring my management team who can plan and mentor with their shift leading team who can then execute with our service and kitchen team. Right. So having having a really uh, insightful look at where you add the most value and how you can empower your team to execute on sort of that that strategy and on that vision, um, number one, frees you up to do what you're really good at and doesn't burn you out in the in that introverted way, but also can empower the people who need to do, you know, take those steps um, to, to move that forward. That's a, I think a very tough lesson or a very, like, it's very common. I hear that a lot from entrepreneurs that, uh, they wish they had more time to work on the business and, and, and not in the business, but they feel that pull of, well, if I'm not working in the business, how does my team know this is important to me? And I think, I think it's tough for people to, to let go, but then to really, uh, try to stay in their lane in terms of what, what their best use of their time is for maximum, you know, investment, maximum return on investment from the entrepreneur's perspective. 
But it's challenging, right? Because oh, of we, course. The reason we go into these industries is because we love to practice our craft. Of course. If, if you didn't get to practice law, if you were just mentoring other people who were practicing law, or if you were business planning for the firm exclusively, I'm I'm confident that you would miss the craft itself. Oh, of course. Yep. So pulling yourself away from the craft and understanding that your contribution to the craft just can look different. It's not that you're not... Yep. contributing it's just that your contribution is different is different and 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 is sh- is shaping other people to be able to contribute in the best way possible right exactly yeah well that's um that's interesting i think that's um i think that's a common lesson that entrepreneurs learn but wrestle with because as you say there's there's many people's identity is tied to their craft and oh I'm a baker or I'm you know whatever I am and and when when that becomes your identity and you want to express that to take that away can feel really threatening I think from from uh, you know from who you are generally well this has been really really interesting and I'm so happy to hear that there's such a sense of community and that the customers really pulled through and wanted to see you succeed even customers who aren't going to set foot into your restaurant from other provinces and that you really took the time to focus on your team and really be guided by the by the gut check of how do I how do I make this okay in in the face of such such great uncertainty and I think that's really set you on the path to be able to realize on that legacy of sustainability and and you know giving back to to the community and um, you know moving forward in that way where can our listeners find out more about Chartier and what it's up to you can find us on our website at dinechartier.com. Uh, our social media handles are pretty easy. They're also dinechartier, C-H-A-R-T-I-E-R. Well, that's pretty good. We'll be sure to check that out. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Heather. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update. 